Hello and welcome. You're listening to Radio Maria, and um, I'm here to welcome Father Ewan Marley. Hello, Father Ewan. Hello. And today we're going to be carrying on with the commentary on Scripture, um, going through the Book of Wisdom. I understand we're on Chapter 10. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Would you begin with a prayer for us, please? Oh, pray, as I've been doing every week for wisdom. Yes. We also pray for wisdom, as the Book of Wisdom explains in the many twists and turns of our life, that we may trust that wisdom is God's gift, but also the thing that saves us in danger, danger both from others, from nature itself and the things that happen, but also the danger of our own heart when we turn from truth. Amen. Amen. So, previously, as I was saying, I was discussing an imaginary Platonic reader, a Greek reader whose knowledge of Greek philosophy and the Book of Wisdom clearly has some knowledge of Greek philosophy. And one of the things says, imagine what would they see when they read this book? What would they understand of it? And so far, up to chapter nine, I think they'd understand quite a lot. They might misunderstand the meaning of the book precisely because it would be so familiar to them, so much like Greek philosophy, even though the book itself is very clearly a product of the Israel, Israel's mind, the Jewish mind. It's about Jewish wisdom, the wisdom of the scriptures, as they were known, and also the Israel's sense of being a people, even though they were, by the time of the writing of the Book of Wisdom, probably scattered throughout the Roman Empire, or at least the Mediterranean. Chapter 9 ended with, and the paths of those who were on earth were set straight, and men learned the things that were pleasing to you, and they were saved by wisdom. Well, wisdom is a Greek concept as well as a Jewish concept. In both languages are words for wisdom. But chapter 10, at this point, we have a change. And here the Greek philosopher, the person educated in Greek philosophy, that is, is liable to be rather puzzled. Because from chapter 10, we start to have a, what I would call a very elusive history of Israel. By elusive, I mean it's not very specific. It refers to the story of Israel. And it's clearly aimed at an audience who knows the first two books of the Old Testament, at least. Genesis and Exodus. And if you didn't know that history, you would find chapter 10 very puzzling. We Christians should know these stories. So hopefully we were taught them at school. We know the basic story, which is Adam and Eve, then uh, Noah, and the call of Abraham. And from Abraham through to Isaac Jacob, to Joseph, and Joseph in Egypt, and then coming out of Egypt, the Exodus. And this is behind the book. In fact, the word Exodus was used, you remember, quite early on to talk about escaping from sin. But chapter 10, if you were reading it without knowing that story, it would be quite puzzling. So chapter 10, 10 begins, you know, do my own translation. She, she is wisdom. She guarded the first-formed father of the world who alone had been created. 
that's reference to Adam. And she took him out from his private sin, his own sin. Now, as I say, imagine you didn't know the story of Adam and Eve, you would find that that verse quite unintelligible. First form father of the world. And a Greek might say, are you referring to some god, to the father of the world, the cosmos? But no, it's a created father. But also, the world here means humanity rather than you know, the planet Earth and the universe. The world in which a human being lives, which is still the planet and the universe, because the planet Earth and the universe only really exist in so much as we see it. It's part of our life, our, our mind contains that universe which contains us. So, as I say, the Greek reader at this moment is going to be quite lost if you don't know anything about Israel and Judaism. It's also, though, rather strange language even for someone steeped in Jewish scripture. First form, for instance, seems to be a word that's very rare and only occurs here in the Greek Old Testament, protoplaston. And it may have inspired the biological term protoplasmos, which is a cell partly without its walls, which was only coined in the late 19th century. And hard to see that it wasn't somebody who knew this passage. First, plastos. Plastos is created in the sense of shaped. Father of the world, who alone was created, meaning the only human being, not the only thing created. And if you read Genesis, of course, you would know that because in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, let there be light. We said it guarded him and took him away from his own sin, clearly reference to Adam's sin. His sin didn't destroy him because wisdom rescued him. Gave him strength, this is verse 2, to rule all things. And then we move on to the next person, the next story. What sense does Adam rule all things? Well, he rules the world he lives in in the sense that he's in control of it, but not in the sense that it does what he wants it to do. He's not controlling in the sense of have superpowers or anything like that, or just deny, demanding and receiving. He is, after all, having to work by the sweat of his brow now. That's the story. And I say, people who know the Jewish scripture would understand that, but the Greek wouldn't. But then the next line jumps into someone else, and you wouldn't realise it's someone else unless you knew the story. The just man removing himself from her, or standing apart from her, or his wisdom, remember, in his anger, was destroyed by, what should we say, he was destroyed by emotions that killed a brother. Another odd way of saying Cain killed his brother. He was destroyed by his passion, his brother-killing passion, his anger, his emotion. I say once again, we know who, why it says brother, but it's couched in terms that could apply to anybody who is destroyed by anger, who may not kill someone, but it may cut someone out of their life, or they may abuse them, or they may run away from them. They may, in that sense, kill them in their mind. So the Book of Wisdom is very cleverly speaking in general terms while always having it behind it, a very specific example, the story of Cain and Abel. Verse 4 jumps on to Noah and the flood. Once again, doesn't really explain it to someone who doesn't know the story. 
When the land was flooded, again wisdom saved from this through a cheap piece of wood, the just man, by guiding him. Here, once again, it's the cleverness of this work, which is rather poetic work. The word guide is kubernato, which gives us cybernetics and cybermen and things, which is actually just a great word for steering a ship. So very cleverly saying, wisdom saved Noah by being the helmsperson of his ship. And cheap wood is his ark. Cheap in the sense that it's you know, just one boat among many. And it's homemade, of course. We know that. And it's saying that in a way, Noah in the water in the ship is a bit like a symbol of human beings in the flood. The flood is our life. Wisdom guides us through the flood. So very much a layers of meaning here, multiple meaning. And really, a Greek reader at this point, you have to say, look, I better give you a Bible. You better read that and come back to the Book of Wisdom because you'll get nothing from this otherwise. You'll just be lost. You know, It's not your fault. It doesn't make sense. That's just because you don't know the background. She, in the, the agreements of wisdom of the nations who were confused, recognised the just man, and kept him blameless to God and kept him strong in the face of his concern for a child or his child. Even knowing the Bible, that's a bit confusing. I think difficult to know what that's about, but it's actually about the Tower of Babel. Homonoia, the same thinking of evil of the races who were confused. Now, the word confused is what happens to the builders of the Tower of Babel, their tongues are confused and then speak different languages are separated, they're forced to spread apart which actually was what they've been told to go forth, multiply and fill the face of the earth they failed to do that, they wanted to stay in one valley very much says a valley where Babel was built and Babel by the way is member as a Hebrew for Babylon means gate of God in the uh, Akkadian but of course that's disobeying the command to fill the earth. So by having their languages confused, they're forced to fill the earth. And therefore, the command of God is fulfilled, but in a more difficult way, a more damaging way, because humanity then splits up into various nations speaking different languages. And even now, it's still a problem. You know, we, we can't, we still don't have a common language. English, Spanish, Chinese are very common, but there's no absolutely common language. But puzzled about the the child, that may be a reference to Noah and what happens with his sons when he comes out of the ark. A complicated story. They invent, they discover how to make alcohol, and that isn't good for Noah who gets drunk. But uh, it's also showing that when they come out of the ark, nothing really has changed about humanity. We haven't been redeemed. Noah is righteous, but his sons aren't, his children aren't. And then the same old story of the separation of human beings goes on. And therefore, redemption hasn't happened in the sense that sin has ended or injustice or human beings' weaknesses and limitations. Life goes on. And it's difficult because we're difficult. But wisdom is there. Wisdom is the one which is protecting us. 
supposed to be taking us out of the, you know, the temptations and the, obviously taking us out of the, you know, the surrounding humanity that's sort of where we all tend to encourage each other to do bad things or foolish things. And we've seen that with the internet with teenagers goading other teenagers over the internet to do things that even lead to them being killed. You know, that human beings can be very bad for human beings in that sense because we'd forget we're are human beings. The trouble with the internet is it's dehumanising. Teenagers don't realise they're real human beings out there who are going to do these mad things. And of course, it led to tragedies. Wisdom, chapter 10 again, verse 6, rescued the just man from the unholy. When he fled, the fire that came down upon the five cities. Five cities is the story of Lot, who's rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah. It's also a reference, five cities and ten cities are the, uh, later these are the Philistines, which are probably Greek-style cities, you know, tendency to build cities with very much a Greek thing. We'd think of the small towns, but they're basically the idea that a, a centre for which everything revolves, that was Sodom and Gomorrah, which is the way he sees it, actually not clear that Sodom and Gomorrah were Greek cities, but that's, remember, this is written a long time after. Evidence of their wickedness still remains. The land stands infertile, with smoke going up. And although it bears fruits, they come out in a time which is infertile. The idea is that they're infertile in the same way that at certain points of the year, trees, plants are growing, which are growing things which are edible, but not at that time of the year. In a sense, so Sodom and Gomorrah are trapped in that permanent unfruitfulness. They've just got it wrong, wrong time, wrong place, wrong way of living. And the pillar of salt stands as a memorial of the unbelieving soul. Obviously Lot's wife who looks back and has turned into pillar of salt. Let's say, you know, it's a very elusive way of describing the Old Testament. It's a very obscure way if you don't know the original stories and therefore we have moved out of the what you might call the Greek world or the world of Greek philosophy. We're now in the world of history, of revelation. Also a world in which Israel considers itself against humanity. Israel obviously sees itself as, in some ways, a symbol of humanity, a proof of what human beings are, even when God speaks to them. They don't listen. Only wisdom can save us. So I think time for some music. Fascinating. Thank you, Father Ewan, um, hearing things I've never heard of before. This song that we're going to listen to is called Your Presence. It's sung by Bethel Live. And when we come back, we'll hear more um, commentary on the Book of Wisdom from Father Ewan.
You're listening to Radio Maria and Father Ewan Mali from the Dominicans uh, here in Cambridge is busy taking us through the Book of Wisdom. Over to you again, Father. Okay, so we continue with this Book of Wisdom and it's rather elusive, obscure references to the Old Testament history. Um, so far we've gone through Adam, Cain, Noah, and then we jump a bit. Um, doesn't mention Abraham. You would expect Abraham, but then Abraham in many ways is too righteous to be mentioned because he doesn't fail in wisdom, at least not often. There are some, some of the stories put him in a bad light. No, it jumps to what appears to be Jacob. When a righteous man fled from the anger of his brother, she guided him in straight ways. Or to translate that again, she is more literal. The righteous, she rather, the exile of the anger of his brother, a just man, she guided in ways which were straight. That's obviously not a good translation, too literal, but it's important to see all you're told is of somebody who was flying, flying, running away from someone. You don't know who it is, but obviously I'd say that has to be Jacob running from Esau. She showed him the kingdom of God and she gave him holy knowledge or knowledge of holy things. She found him in struggles or oppressions or toils, but she filled his labors. And that's what it literally says. It's the labors aren't taken away, but they're filled with wisdom. The wisdom becomes in the struggles. This is the story of Jacob who receives the birthright, which he gets by cheating from his father, but then he has to run away because his brother wants to kill him. And well, he runs away, he has two visions. He has, you know, he wrestles with God, sort of vision, and he also sees a ladder with the angels come up and down. And that's what seems to be referred to here. Um knowledge of holy things, she prospered in his leisure, increased the fruit of his toil, increased herself in his toils. And when those who were stronger than him were greedy, she stood by him and she made him rich. And she guarded him from enemies, and from those who were powerful, she, she kept him safe. Um, and in the, the strong contest, she judged for him. It's literally what it says. Uh, the new revised has it in his arduous contest, she gave him the victory. Well, I mean, she, she decides who's going to win. That's her power. So he'd know that so he might know that wisdom is stronger than everything. So not wisdom, no piety. No, very important distinction there. We've changed again from Sophia, wisdom to piety, Yusabaya. That once again reminds us we're in the Jewish world. Piety doesn't doesn't have the same strength in the Greek world. It exists, but in piety was seen as basically various pagan religions. But um, it took a while for piety to be seen as a universal thing. But it's interesting that uh, Aeneid, Virgil's Aeneid, later on does make piety the key concept, the key description of Aeneas. There were a lot of discussions about what exactly piety meant in that case. 
but Jewish piety obviously means that belief in God and trusting in God. And wisdom teaches us that. Then, once again, it says, she, oh, the literal translation, it always likes to begin with wisdom at the beginning of the sentence. She did not leave the just man who had been sold, but from sin rescued him. Uh, sin is actually, of course, his brothers. This is the story of Joseph, I think. But uh, he's not lacking in sin, but the point is that what splits him is sin. Sin is like the force that separates. Uh, she led him down to the pit, and in his chain she did not leave him alone until she had borne for him a scepter of kingdom and power over those who had been his tyrants. That's the brothers, because they come to Egypt in famine and they don't realise that the brother Joseph, whom they think was probably dead or somewhere in the world as a slave, has actually become the chancellor and the great advisor of Pharaoh. But they are described as tyrants over him or rulers over him, which is not the way they would see themselves, but it's actually what they're trying to be. And they're trying to be tyrants or rulers rather than brothers. That's a big theme, I think, in wisdom. You know, it, remember, it, we've had the word brother twice here. We had it for brother hatred of Cain and then Jacob and Esau, the anger of a brother. So these are things that destroy brotherhood, that destroy fraternity. Uh, she showed that those who had accused him were, were liars. That was, of course, when Joseph was falsely accused by um, the Egyptian woman and gave him eternal glory, everlasting honour. The point here is that it's not the glory of Egypt. Egypt's glory, which Joseph has given, is very powerful, but it's not eternal, not everlasting. That's only possible when God sanctions Joseph and shows that he has plans for Joseph and Joseph is his beloved, and we should accept that. Then we come to the next stage in Egypt. Let's see, once again, keep saying this, but important to understand that, you know, because we know the story, it's easy to miss just how puzzling the way wisdom describes the story. We move on to the story of Moses and the story of the Exodus. But the word Moses doesn't appear. I mean, none of these names have appeared, really. It's always about people described the descriptions of the first for man, the exile, the man who's running away. Now it said, she rescued a holy people and a blameless seed from the people who were abusing them or oppressing them. Seed, it means the seed of Abraham, right down the idea that every Israelite in some ways was contained in Abraham and his children of Abraham. To the final seed, which is Christ himself, son of Mary. Uh, but it calls them a holy people and a blameless people, which isn't actually very obvious when you read the story of Exodus. I mean, a lot of them want to go back to Egypt. They fight with Moses. They lack faith. They never complete the journey to the Holy Land because that generation has lacked faith. However, they are holy, I think, in the sense that they're the people God has chosen. He's guarded them and he will keep the people together, even though their sins are liable to destroy them. Israel survives. And it's very important to remember that this book is written long after the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the 
kingdoms long after the Babylonians and the Syrians and the Greeks and the Romans have travelled around this world. Certainly Greeks, I think it possibly was late enough for the Romans. The holy people, the blameless seed, no longer have a country. They're scattered, but they still have this belief that God has chosen them for a purpose. So back to the story as it's told in Egypt. She went into the, the soul of a servant of the Lord, and he stood up against frightening kings in signs and wonders. Of course, there's one king, Pharaoh. But the point is that the story of Moses has been repeated again and again. Israel, and then later the early church, will have to stand up against rulers. They will not allow them to live their faith and live in their hope. So, kings, even though in fact the original story is one king, because there are recurrent patterns in life, there are things that keep happening. Uh, she gave him a reward to the holy, gave the holy people a reward for their labours. She guided them in a wonderful road. And she washed to them a protection by day and for a for a, a fire of stars during the night, you know, bystanders said a starry flame. Well, possibly, you know, the idea of a, the, the flame at night, if you know, remember the story that God leads them as a cloud by day and a fire by night. She led them through the Red Sea. He carried them through many waters. She buried their enemies and from the deadly pit or the deadly depth, depth of the sea, she cast them up. And because of this, she just plundered the ungodly and they blessed the name, your holy name. That's a reference to the Israelites taking the treasure of Egypt with them. And praise with one accord, your defending hand, the priest together. So we'll stop for some music there again, I think. Indeed. So the next piece we're going to listen to is by Edwin uh, Fawcett, and it's called Lift Up Your Eyes. When we return, we'll carry on looking at the Book of Wisdom with Father Ewan Marley. destiny is hidden from the Lord. Did you not know? Had you not heard? That the Lord is never
are listening to Radio Maria, and we're going through the Book of Wisdom with Father Ewan Marley. Over to you, Father. Okay, well, we'll be reading Chapter 10. I don't think I'll move on to 11 this week. Uh, leave that for later. It's more of the same, really, about this great analysis. Chapter 11 is about the details of the travel through the desert, which is interesting. I want to talk more generally about this book, and one of the questions worth asking is what exactly is wisdom? Is wisdom God? Because if you think of the stories we've been hearing, at certain points you you would think that wisdom is doing what God does. She drowned her enemies and cast them up from the depths of the sea. She brought them over the Red Sea and led them through deep waters. And she became a shelter to them by day, or protection, and a flame of stars during the night. Now, surely that's God. Now, I would say yeah, the problem is really that, you know, there is God speaking. This is true of all speech. And then there is human beings listening or not listening. So I often say uh, to people, young Dominicans, you know, remember, just because someone thinks your sermon meant something different from you doesn't mean they say they're wrong. They might take something from what you said that's wiser than what you think you're saying, you know. Cause what's said is always a middle ground between what is spoken or written and what is heard or read. It's the middle. It's why, in a sense, every single person in the congregation hears a different sermon because, you know, we all concentrate or not in different ways and we understand it in different ways or might like it or not like it. So, you know, and I think that's part of the point with wisdom. Wisdom is the personification of that middle bit between God speaking and human beings hearing or not hearing. Wisdom is when we do hear. Wisdom is when we do understand. And as such, wisdom is speech, but also, I might say, form and shape. Remember earlier on, you know, we talked about wisdom was there when the universe itself was formed, uh, creating all things. And, you know, wisdom isn't just speech. Form is also a sort of speech, you know, like if you build a good building, it's a good building because it's shaped well. The shape is a wisdom. Um, then once again, do we understand it? You know, we have different opinions in buildings. Uh, you know, the, somebody was saying to me about a building in the 60s, said, well, that's really ugly. And I said, well, it's not as ugly as it looks. You know, but uh, yeah, it's... There's a point of, you know, there's a certain subjectiveness. In that sense, it's not saying that wisdom was the cloud by day or the fire by night, but wisdom was the understanding of what the cloud is meant. It meant God leading you through the desert. It means God leads us through time and through reality and through our lives, through history. And whether it's day or night, God is there. At night, God has to be brighter. God has to be a fire, a fire of stars. And there's probably a reference there to the idea that the Greeks think the stars themselves were a kind of sign of wisdom. But you know, wisdom says, well, there's a fire of star which was on the earth, which was God's wisdom leading us in the night. Possibly that might make us think of the star of Bethlehem. So, you know, wisdom isn't God, but wisdom is the understanding of God. Wisdom is the presence of God. Wisdom is our hearts open to God and our minds. And wisdom is when we ourselves acknowledge that. 
that's why I would make great emphasis, put great emphasis on this very last verse of chapter 10. For wisdom opened the mouths of those who were mute, and it made the tongues of infants clear. It opens their mouth and it makes their tongues clear. Wisdom doesn't just teach us things, it also enables us to express what we've learned. It makes us able to praise what we see in God. It makes us able to find joy and to say it, to speak it. You know, the mouth of the, the mute, the tongues of the children or the fools, makes it clear. You know, we're speaking anyway, just we can speak foolishness or we can speak obscurely, but wisdom enables us to express that. And that goes back to what I said about, um, you know, the Jacob story, it, wisdom filled his labours. Didn't take them away, but it made them signs of wisdom. As we often learn the struggle, we often become wiser in struggle, even though we don't want the struggle, even though we'd rather have an easier life. But as someone said, you know, better to pray for it to be a strong person than to pray for an easier life. Better to pray to be more what you are. And that too is part of the point of wisdom. So wisdom isn't God, but wisdom is the understanding of God. Wisdom is our ability to both see and hear and then speak and respond to praise what is given to us. And praise might mean communication, it might mean telling people wisdom, but it's also the fact that uh, when we listen to a great piece of music or are impressed by a piece of art or impressed by someone's life, that we actually feel something come out of ourselves, a desire to enjoy that, to say, this is great. That's why the applause at the end of a concert is actually an integral part of the music. You know, everybody stands up and they all acknowledge it, because mostly we applaud because we're supposed to, but, you know, sometimes there are, there are real cases where you feel people really are being sincere. They really have been amazed by this piece, you know, genuine and applause. It's not that common, but when you feel it, you also feel, yeah, we all understood this was a great work. This was a wonder. Get it a debut and things. So, so that all is wisdom, you know, it's the ability to, you know, feel that even in the complex nature of our life and the struggles that there is something wise going on and we've been led through the desert to a greater thing. So I think I could end there, maybe. Let's give you a few minutes. Thank you, Father. Would you say a prayer for us? Surely. As I pray for wisdom, I too also pray, Lord, for the ability to express that wisdom, to be people of praise, people who are able to, without forcing our lives and our thoughts and other people, but to be spontaneous and open in our praise, to be happy to say the prayers that praise your wisdom, trust in your wisdom, which is greater in our minds, which we never understand, never really express well, but just sometimes to think, now I see, now I know that you're leading us to a great future and happiness is where we belong. Happiness is where you're taking us. May we trust in that always. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Ewan.
Invited to our Worldwide Rosary on Saturday, the 7th of October at the Rosary Shrine in London. Our dear volunteer Jason would like to share what the Rosary means to him. I remember when I was first prompted by God to pray the Rosary, it was a few years ago when I was uh, suffering from serious illness. Uh, and I was pretty panicky at night uh, and I was prompted to pray the rosary. After praying the rosary, I calmed right down as if almost the spiritual attack had been fought off by the rosary. Please do join us on Saturday the 7th of October at 3pm for the Worldwide Rosary and pray with all the nations. Register on the website at radiomariaengland.uk. We look forward to seeing you there. Radio Maria England, a Christian voice in your home.